Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to Prognosis. I'm Laura Carlson. It's day 72 since coronavirus was declared a global pandemic. Our main story? When lockdown measures went into effect in countries around the world, many expected to be trapped at home for a few weeks. But months into the pandemic, people are now looking for a way to make social distancing sustainable, while tentatively returning to some of their old activities. State and local governments are having a hard time helping people navigate those gray areas because there are few clear answers. But first, here's what happened today. Yet another study is showing the dangers of anti-malaria drugs touted by U.S. President Donald Trump for treating COVID-19. Hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine were linked to an increased risk of death and heart ailments. The drugs don't benefit patients with the coronavirus either alone or in combination with other drugs, according to a study published today by the Lancet Medical Journal. Trump's endorsement has led many people to take the medications without scientific proof of their benefit. An experimental vaccine developed by Chinese company CanSino Biologics is showing promise. An early study shows that the vaccine was safe and generated an immune response. That's according to another report out today from The Lancet. The researchers from the Beijing Institute of Biotechnology and other organizations said further study is needed to show its effectiveness against the virus. And finally, coronavirus is having another indirect health effect, this one on very small children. The pandemic has kept parents from taking their children to routine doctor visits. That means, according to the world's top health agencies, that more than 80 million children under the age of one are at risk of life-threatening diseases like polio and measles. That's because routine vaccinations of children have been substantially hindered in at least 68 countries, according to data from the World Health Organization, UNICEF, and other organizations. The agencies called on countries to resume campaigns against vaccine-preventable diseases and made recommendations on how to safely deliver shots amid the pandemic. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing. 
the passion to keep investing. The best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. And now, our main story. There's a growing public health argument about how people should calculate risk when it comes to social distancing. Many U.S. states are now lifting stay-at-home restrictions. Summer is around the corner, and people in the third month of what many hoped would be a weeks-long disruption are desperate to visit friends and get outside. That means we will be socializing a lot more, in many cases without clear guidelines as to what's really risky. As we learn more about how the virus spreads and what constitutes risky behavior, messaging from experts will have to become a little more nuanced than just stay home, stay safe, reports Kristen V. Brown. Here's Kristen with more on how we can make social distancing work for the long haul. A few weeks ago, I did something that broke social distancing rules. I live in Oakland, California, and on March 17th, my county enacted a strict shelter-in-place order. That means no hanging out with friends or family you don't live with or spending time outside of the house unless it's necessary at all. Like many people, I coped by moving my social life to the screen. I had lots of Zoom happy hours and Zoom game nights. My best friend and I would go for runs while chatting on the phone. But a few weeks ago, I hit a wall. I just wanted to have a drink with a friend, in real life. So I suggested that my best friend and I meet for a drink in her backyard. We were careful. We stayed six feet apart, we ate chips from separate bowls. It seemed really low risk. But still, I felt guilty. Julia Marcus is an epidemiologist at Harvard University. She calls what I've been experiencing quarantine fatigue. And she says I am far from the only one feeling it. To date, the public health messaging right now has been um, stay at home. And of course, that is the safest option right now, staying at home either on your own or with your family. But it's not sustainable for the long term. Julia is among a growing number of people in the public health world that think the messaging around COVID-19 needs to change. At the beginning of the pandemic, the idea was that we would all hunker down for a few weeks or even a few months until the virus was more under control. But now, we're at an inflection point as states reopen. On the one hand, we still don't have a vaccine, and the threat of a new outbreak of disease is very real. But on the other hand, forcing people to continue to exclusively stay inside is unsustainable and taking a real psychological toll. Julia says all of this means we need to make a plan for the long haul. And now that that's become clear, that this is a long-term proposition. We have to rethink how we're going to do this so that we can do it in a sustainable way and people can live their lives such that they have things to look forward to and they have joy and they're not depressed and isolated. And it's not going to look the way it did before, but it, you know, we, ha- we have to adjust to a new normal that balances people's need for human contact with keeping the risk of transmission as low as possible. Julia studies HIV and points to the AIDS epidemic as an example of why our COVID-19 playbook needs to change. 
asking people to not have sex doesn't work. But advising people on ways they can have sex while reducing the chances that they'll contract the virus does. She says New York City today is setting a good example. It just put out guidelines on sexual health during COVID-19. The best way to avoid risk, the guidelines say, is to not have sex. But it does recognize not everyone is going to follow that advice and suggest some ways to decrease the risk of other scenarios, too. Health is not just prevention of disease transmission. There are other aspects to health that we're going to need to consider. We don't want to see an increase in suicide. You know what I mean? It's, there, there's a lot to balance here that I, I think needs a more holistic approach to health if we're going to do this. The other thing is that we know more about COVID-19 than we did two months ago. We have a better idea of how it spreads and of who is most susceptible to getting really sick from it. Marty Markery is a public health expert at Johns Hopkins. He says he first supported sheltering in place in order to reduce the burden on hospitals. But things have changed. Now that we have flattened the curve nationally, now that we have data coming in showing that it is it has fallen short of some of the more dire projections. We need to evolve our strategy. And at the same time, the country simply cannot tolerate any more of a harsh shutdown. Marty says that we need to customize public health recommendations to better fit what we now know about the virus. For example, we now know that the virus is much less likely to spread outdoors. Most cases seem to come from people who have close contact with each other. So have that socially distanced drink in the backyard. Some of this thinking has actually already made its way into policy. For example, in California, businesses can now open up for curbside pickup. That will reduce contact opportunities, but will also allow life to inch back towards normal. Marty says that businesses might even be able to just shift to sidewalk shopping. He says we need to completely rethink many aspects of society. We can actually fight this thing with a pretty good toolbox of many different interventions and have a lot of success. Now, does that mean that people can resume summer camps and kids can play soccer together? It depends on the local viral burden in that community. So there's no one-size-fits-all strategy, and the strategy needs to evolve. But not every region has taken into account what we've learned about the virus in deciding how to roll back restrictions. In Alabama, for example, restaurants and bars have been allowed to reopen with limited seating, even though the state has yet to meet White House reopening criteria. The percentage of positive tests in the state has increased, causing concern that a second wave of the virus may be on the way. Marty says public health officials could create a virus threat level for every community. This would change as the virus does and help people better make their own risk assessments. In the United States now with the pandemic, we have numbers of cases, hospitalizations, new intubations, and we can create a risk level for every locale, which will actually stratify the degree of elective activities, be it um, uh, social gatherings, sporting events, or essential services. 
And so we can do this. We can figure out, hey, in this particular community, the disease burden is so low that it's reasonable for young, healthy people to essentially do whatever they want uh, in that community. In other areas, we can say, look, there's still a risk. It's not a severe risk, but it's a moderate risk. We're going to ask people to limit themselves to activities where they can conduct themselves with distancing, hygiene, masks, and redesign business processes. That's very feasible, and that's what we should be doing. The big message here is that now that the virus spread has slowed, public health policy requires more of a balancing act. We need to consider not just risk of exposure to the virus, but mental health, economic well-being, access to other kinds of health care, and happiness. That said, don't count on shaking hands anytime soon. That was Kristen V. Brown. And that's our show today. For coverage of the outbreak from 120 bureaus around the world, visit Bloomberg.com coronavirus. And if you like the show, please leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It's the best way to help more listeners find our global reporting. The Prognosis Daily Edition is produced by Topher Forges, Jordan Gaspure, Magnus Henriksen, and me, Laura Carlson. Today's main story was reported by Kristen V. Brown. Original music by Leo Sidron. Our editors are Francesca Levy and Rick Schein. Francesca Levy is Bloomberg's head of podcasts. Thanks for listening. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.